Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Pre-Sales in a Pod, and this is episode 54, and you join by myself, Adam Freeman, and Mark Green. Hi, Mark. Hello. And we have got a special guest today, someone new to the show again, uh, Josh Hill from Ikuto, who are a recruitment specialist firm. So, Josh, do you want to introduce yourself and who Ikuto are to the audience? Of course. Thanks for having me, Adam and Mark. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm the co-founder of Ikuto. We specialise in pre-sales recruitment, both ICs and leaders across EMEA, um, and every now and again, North America and APAC. So um, we are going to do a bit of an update. It's been a while since we've done an update um, with our good friend John on the recruitment sector and the jobs market. We know it's buoyant, Josh. We can see from LinkedIn when every other post, as Don puts it, is a <laughs> job vacancy. Um, we can see it when every single person in the organisation shares that job. We know how in-demand pre-sales is. Are we reading it right? Is it as in demand as we see? What What's the state of play right now? Yeah, it certainly is. Still um, incredibly in demand. Great time to be in pre-sales. However, um, slight caveat, the candidate market now is, um, it, it's, it's a little different. So there's plenty of opportunities out there, but there are more candidates willing to move. So I think applicants in, you know, just from my experience, I look at a lot of roles out there advertised by direct vendors and it's about 30 or 40% more applicants that they get now as opposed to, you know, six months ago. So um, I think it's kind of catching up with itself, um, which, you know, is, is an interesting statistic. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, it's interesting that you've got such a rise in candidates. What do you think that's down to? Do you think it's the market or do you think it's the candidates making themselves more available or being able to connect better in this world we find ourselves in? Yeah, I, I think it's the latter. I think, um, you know, we've all heard the term war for talent, you know, uh, great resignation, all of those things. Um, I don't think you can be in pre-sales and avoid that term. So I, I think, you know, the, the reality is um, people have probably noticed it. They're, they're happy in their current role. Maybe something's happened and they've decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to take a little look out there. And plus, I think we've all seen LinkedIn um, quite recently where there's been, um, you know, a lot of redundancies, a lot of tech companies, unfortunately, um, have been suffering, um, which is never good news. Well, I, I found you a long time ago, Josh. I remember we, we've known each other for a while, as as indeed you've known Adam as well. Um, a specialist pre-sales recruiter is not something that ever existed uh, back in the day. How have you found being specialist in that area uh, compares you to the what you can offer the candidates then? Uh, incredibly uh, interesting question, one that I have to answer almost every day when I uh, speak to you know new candidates and new clients. But the reality is, pre-sales is difficult to understand. It's difficult to understand for people in pre-sales. I mean, uh, you guys don't even know what to call yourselves half of the time. You know, there's about a thousand different job titles out there, and pre-sales looks so different um, in so many different organisations. And that's what I love about it. So, you know, I started my career in tech. Um, I was a developer for a year. I was absolutely awful, hence why I'm a recruiter now. And, uh, you know, I left that industry because I kind of, I, I didn't like, I think it was more about the people I was around. You know, I didn't, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, and then I kind of got into recruitment, fell into it, you know, and years down the line, discovered pre-sales. And I always say, if I could turn back the clocks and if I could start my tech career again, if that was the route I'd go down, I mean, I, I just love pre-sales. I think it's absolutely fascinating. Um, and when you have that interest in it, um, it's much easier to pick up, understand, um, which, you know, sets you above the rest. You can identify opportunities better. You can identify skills better. You can understand your customers' requirements. Um, yeah, I absolutely love it. 
Quick question then. So let's say we've got people, we've got people on this podcast that listen that are have been, you know, will be actively looking. We've got people that love where they are, and we've got people that are looking to break into pre-sales as well. So do you get are you seeing a lot of CVs for people interested in pre-sales that maybe aren't currently in pre-sales? Absolutely, yes. Um, and not just CVs from people that are looking to get into pre-sales, um, but hiring managers actually actively asking for people. Um, so I've got a, an interesting t- a statistic. Mark, actually, I think you took part in this study. Um, I did a questionnaire with um, some leaders around the globe uh, for you know, SIs and uh, SaaS vendors. Um, and I asked them a, a bunch of questions when, when hiring first-time pre-sales professionals. I asked them what skills they look for. Um, and one of the questions I asked is, like, what background do you look for? If you're hiring a first-time pre-sales professional, where do they where do they come from? You know, when are they most successful? And I think their statistic was 63% of the leaders said they hire from their customers' ecosystem. So they hired almost the, the buyer personas, you know, who have experienced the challenges that their software or their, you know, their their product actually solves. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I think that's where most of our uh, our clients look at the moment, and and that's where we see a lot of the, the candidate attraction. I mean, from a personal perspective, when I take people on, I find the deep industry experience. It's almost easier to put the pre-sales knowledge potentially into one, especially when you've got good processes, good onboarding, things like that. I would caveat that you need to be a larger organization with those kind of the furniture around someone to make them successful. But when you take on an existing pre-sales person as a leader, you, there's almost an element of re re-immersion into a new process that sometimes takes a little bit longer for some candidates right so I, I would say if people on this call and you think about moving within the profession when you go into interview with a leader that's something you should probably tackle because you might be up against a deep industry expert that needs to learn pre-sales but you can mold them into the way you want them as a pre-sales person versus you probably have got deep industry experience and the pre-sales experience but you're going to have to learn maybe a pre-sales a new process, a new way, and it's shown that you can you can do that. Um, I was gonna. That kind of takes me on to my next point, really, Josh. What are the skills that you're seeing people right now ask for? What's hot right now? Yeah. So it, it really does depend on the opportunity, whether it's a, you know an IC role, leader role, or whether it's a first time pre sales professional. Um, but there are two common recurring themes which. Um, most of my clients want more and more of. The very first one is video creation. Um, it's huge right now. We all know how effective it can be in a sales cycle and how much of a powerful tool it is. Um, and the ability to you know, do some basic edi- edi- uh, video editing or at least be comfortable in front of a camera, um, that's certainly one skill that is you know, being asked for now more than ever. Um, the second one actually is um, a bit of a social media presence, particularly on LinkedIn. Um, so it's so common for people not to use the platform or just, you know, like a few posts. I mean, I can be, look, I'm, you know, guilty for that myself a lot of the time. Um, but when the time and effort is put into creating a wonderful LinkedIn profile, you know, there's knowledge being shared. It's not just for recruits or hiring managers because hiring managers will research your LinkedIn, you know, just every, not 100% of the time will always research, but it's also for your customers too, right. Um, to, to show you're a thought leader, of the industry, you know, it's um, it can be a very, very powerful tool LinkedIn. I would bit of a bit of advice here from my perspective. I see a lot of CVs, obviously, um, and we've reviewed them together, actually, Josh. And one of the things that makes it easier for me is when someone just pumps their LinkedIn URL into their CV, makes it so much easier because you're seeing things like recommendations on there. You're seeing things like, you know, what achievements people have got. 
you're often seeing a slightly different dimension to what you would get on a CV. And it brings a level of personality to a CV that I think sometimes you wouldn't get if you didn't make that link. So if you are actively looking right now, that's something I'd encourage you to do is make sure either through a QR code or through um, a hyperlink on your CV that you've got your LinkedIn presence linked to your CV for sure. Yeah. And if you want to know the power of a CV these days, yes, it's good if you're trying to pick through a bunch of candidates, but if you are a prospective candidate going for a specific role, uh, I got my last job with no CV, only through the power of LinkedIn, social, networking, uh, getting myself out in front of the company. And that's something that all candidates can do. So that when you have a CV, that goes through the recruiter, it goes through those stages and steps. Just like you said at the start, Joshua, find out who the hiring manager is and get yourself out there talking about the things that interest them and are going to be useful. And, and that means that when they're trying to pick between the two, you've done half your interview already. <laughs> well, there's a balance, isn't there, Josh? Because, I mean, Don's made this point previously in, on, on an episode we did. You said you can always read when you read someone's LinkedIn and you can see when they are absolutely active in the job market because their, their LinkedIn becomes almost like an advert, right, for themselves. <laughs> you know, is that something you're seeing a lot of? Uh, I don't see it too often, I'll be honest. I have noticed a few of those in my time. Um, but yeah, they're, they're few and far between. But you're right, it's like anything in life. It is it is a balancing act. You know, you don't want to be uh, too active uh, on LinkedIn with things that actually don't add value, you know, to anybody. I think it's important to keep it relevant too. Um, but Mark, you also touched on like a great point, which is, you know, your access to a hiring manager. So all of these things, like Mark, your experience, getting your most recent role, um, it's all absolutely wonderful, but sometimes it's actually not possible. So some um, some organisations, particularly some larger ones with a bit more red tape, um, they do they do have a you know you must have a CV. Even if you know somebody, it's a recommendation. You must have a CV. You must send a CV through the particular channels. That doesn't necessarily mean you can't go around the process a little. You know, send your CV in afterwards. But one of the things I would advise anybody out there, um, you know, if you're if you're not working with a recruiter on, on a, any opportunity or it's a complete cold one, you know, you've never heard of the organization, but you've done your research, you love the opportunity, um, go and find that hiring manager. So you can use, you know, Boolean search, um, it, which I think most people will be familiar with. If you're not, give it a quick Google. It's a real basic set of parameters, which looks for uh, keywords in, in any text um, and look for the hiring manager at that organization, um, go and find them, tell them that you found this opportunity, tell them that you're really interested, maybe even send them a video to, to show some of your video creation skills um, and, and tell them why, ultimately, why you think that opportunity is really exciting. Ask them how best to apply if you can send a CV direct. I don't think there's a better way of approaching an opportunity than that. And I mean, let's be honest that you're going into a sales role. If you can't sell yourself and your value, right that that's the modern sales cycle we're saying it's video outreach so i mean i've had it off a couple of candidates and i love it whether they're right or wrong for the role it's something i'll always follow up on because i absolutely love that kind of inventive way of approaching job i think that's really good advice josh so i'd ask you just on that you mentioned to me we had a call um early in the week and you mentioned to me there's a lot more candidates per role we'll probably see and then maybe what we saw previously how does a candidate stand out to a hiring manager in a crowded market where you've got a lot of candidates prepared to move them? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, 
my prior answer is a, is a good way to do that because, you know, not everybody will do that. Uh, one big thing which really surprises me, actually, that um, a lot of candidates um, don't do if, if they're not advised, of course. I know it's easy when you know, <laughs> you know, the old saying, um, but it, it's actually engaging with the hiring manager in between interview processes. You know, we all know pre-sales is an incredibly busy role, particularly pre-sales leadership. So interviews, you know, that you can have one stage one week, another stage a couple of weeks after, particularly if you, it's a bit of a matrix environment, you need leaders across the globe. It's difficult to get everyone in one place. So an interview process can take a few weeks, which it's never ideal, but sometimes, unfortunately, it has to be that way. Um, so in between those processes, why not reach out to the hiring manager, tell them how much you loved it, you know, tell them what you liked about it. Maybe you've done some further research on, you know, some of the facts you found out in that interview and ask them about it. Tell them what you found out, you know, ask them any questions based upon those findings. Um, and, and, that, and that's a great way to show how interested you are. Um, like we all know, you know, people buy from people to an extent. And, um, you know, if you can build that relationship with a hiring manager, that kind of culture add and that relationship is, is always going to put you on top of the pile. Absolutely. So in terms of... I'm going to ask you a question here of why people move, right? We're seeing an economy where, irrespective of what country you're in, right? And we've got we've got listeners in over 50 odd countries. Okay, so your your scenario when you listen to this may differ, but from from most of the markets that that we would operate and you operate in, we've got you know levels of inflation now, um, we've got a level of uncertainty post COVID, but we've also got things like returning to hybrid work and expectations of some organizations that you'll be in the office versus somewhere, hang on, you've gone fully remote and actually maybe people wanting somewhere between. This leads me to the point of, are people moving because of money and salary? Is it a lack of opportunity or is it a desire for a better work-life balance? What is the driver for people moving, do you think, right now? I think anyone actively on the market, so anyone... Um, you know, who's contributing to those increasing applicants per role, uh, it tends to be one of a few reasons. Number one is they've, you know, found out, finally found out the big wide world of uh, the pre-sales community and they understand how um, underpaid they are. That certainly is a reason. Um, number two, it could be they've been promised something by leadership, aka, you know, a leadership position or something of that ilk. And it's, it's kind of not come to fruition um, or maybe they've had a bad experience with the hiring manager. Those are you know, maybe uh, the, the three most common um, reasons that I find active candidates looking. Um, but I think it's quite important to also remember that a lot of the pre-sales moves are headhunted. Um, so it's either recruits like myself or even internal recruits or even some hiring managers. I see some hiring managers now with LinkedIn recruiter license going out there and headhunting. Those are a little different. So there may not be a reason why someone's looking to leave. Um, it may just be something newer, shinier, um, a big opportunity is put in front of them. And we all know in a competitive market, organizations start paying more and they start offering, you know, better career paths, better training, better, you know, new, better products are coming out. Um, so, but yeah, it can be a combination for passive candidates. And I mean, probably not you want to hear, but I would say sometimes you're going to consider sometimes the best thing is to stay where you are as well. So just because something's not right and you can roll sometimes the right conversation, um, sometimes the opportunity might not be apparent to you, but, but is there. And I've, I've seen people, for example, leave and then leadership opportunities come out just after they leave and go, I wish I'd have known that and I wouldn't have moved because actually that was the only thing I wanted. So I would always say if you're in that position, you know, you should have a relationship with your leader where you can be a little bit more open and you can ask these questions, but also have a personal development plan, you know, just because you're a very, very good individual contributor. And we, we've had this conversation, I've had this conversation with you, Mark, as well. 
just because you're a great individual contributor, the skill set doesn't always translate, does it, to being a leader? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And it's something that um, early on in my career, I knew that I wanted to do. But a few years looking back now was definitely not not the right time to do that. Um, I think it took a bit of time um, in a leadership position to work out which parts of leadership it is that I enjoy. And then I went after those things because it, it's a very wide remit of just becoming a manager. You get people that fall into team leader, manager, leader, um, group leader, all sort, sorts of things. So just going for the first one that comes up is not necessarily um, the best thing. And so if you can get experience leading, leading projects, speak to your manager, take on a whole project. Say, look, I'd like some experience in, in, in leading. Um, I know I'm not just going to jump into a management position, but give me a chance and they can only say no. I've, I've always said learn in a safe space. So something that's really uncomfortable to do is to very much learn in public where you take your first leadership position, you've gone in on a big salary or to you it's perceived as big, which puts pressure on yourself. Then you're learning. You've never done leadership before. That's hard, right? Sometimes staying where you are and getting a taste of leadership, see if you like it via a secondment or just via taking on additional responses like Mark is a great way also, Josh, of proving that if there's not a leadership opportunity where you are, but you love it, at least you know it's the right thing for you. And then when you come to yourself, Josh, because I'm I'm keen to understand from your perspective, when you get someone who comes and says, I'm moving because there's no leadership opportunity where I am. Got to move. Right, great. Well, you've got no opportunity. You've got no experience leading. How hard is it to place that candidate? And what do you do in that scenario? Because that must be a common thing, right? It's a it's a very common thing, and it is incredibly hard. And, and funny enough, a lot of the advice both of um, yourself and um, Mark have, have offered is is tend to you know want to go down. Potentially, it's not the right time for you to move if, if that's the only reason you're moving for. Um, if it's a different structure organisation where they know they're not going to get that opportunity for years and years and years, then look, I understand. But it is difficult to place them without that leadership experience. You can look outside of that. Maybe they've been a leader in the past, but it's a common theme, and I'm sure. You know, everybody listens to this, uh, has seen this time and time again. Naturally, you know, kind of in your own mind, you think leadership is career progression, right? That, that's where I need to be. That's that's how I progress my career. But there's so many different other avenues you can go down. Leadership takes a complete different set of skills. And more often than not, you know, an organization, they'll hire their top IC, right? They're, they're the best IC. Let's give them the leadership position. And it doesn't work for both parties. You know, the individual complete different set of skills. They don't finally enjoy it too much. And then after 12 months, they step back. That's a lot of wasted time. It's a lot of wasted money um, from both parts. And it's a lot of, uh, you know, it's a bit of a, a hit on morale as well for, for, for the IC. So I do, but even on that, offer the advice a lot of the times, maybe to stay, to stay put, or if not, it's finding the organization where they can learn how to become a leader in that safe space and it, it tends to be a you know a middle management management position or a team lead position um where they start and are things like work-life balance coming into a candidate's kind of criteria more do you think post-covid absolutely absolutely so you know the work from home um, balance now is almost entirely like every role that we have live on our desk right now is is um hybrid at least or fully remote which is absolutely wonderful you know these last two years have been a, a great push on that um so although it's a requirement most opportunities now you know they are offering that one of the issues that i do see every now and again is um you know for vendors maybe from um, other countries or the time zones 
first boots on the ground in the UK um, or anywhere else in EMEA, you know, uh, the time difference is a big killer. So you can find in a, in a busy startup environment where, you, you know, some people are working 15, 16 hour days um, just to get on those calls with, with North America or APAC or whatever. Um, so, you know, that's not for everyone. But as long as you know that from the off and you're aware of those challenges and you're comfortable with it, um, I, I still think working for startups is, is a load of fun. I mean, Mark, I remember, obviously, you've gone to work for an American organization and you've gone from over mm. the UK. So you've probably just gone through that emotional battle, right? Definitely have. And it's really fascinating being the only person in the UK at the moment. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's it's something that it's very interesting thinking because if I'm hiring someone for the UK, I'm now not only thinking about their suitability for the job and for the role and whether they fit fit into the team, but whether or not the shape of the way of working with the different time zones um, would actually work for someone like that. And that's a really hard thing for someone to say, all of your all, all of the meetings with your colleagues are going to happen in the afternoon. There is no office to go in and have have coffee with someone. Now I'm totally fine with that. That's kind of how it works. My jam. It's not everyone's jam. So really understanding what you're getting into and as you grow, then that's that's a definite fascinating thing. Yeah. So Josh, I've asked you one more thing then. So we hear a lot, and I've I've run polls on this, right? Just to get a handle on it. Would you rather be an established industry name or a brand new startup or a startup with a level of experience? Do you get candidates coming to you saying, I want to be a startup, I want that excitement, I want that level of chaos that comes with that to a point? Or are you are you getting people almost dictating which kind of organization they would prefer to work for? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it all depends on the kind of relationship you have with that that um, candidate you know we've known some candidates for years so we've got a great relationship for and we'll you know actively um, pursue opportunities with clients that we don't that they're not actually clients of ours you know they're prospects out there um, and that way you can target exactly who they want to work for you know what products they absolutely love why they want to work for them which is great um, but a, lo- a lot of the time you know you speak to candidates and they say you know I don't want to work for a big corporate or I don't want to work for a startup vice versa um, which is understandable like there are there are different things to take into account when you choose your next opportunity. You know, smaller organisations, yes, you get that chaos, but you also get um, a lot of opportunity to, to experience a lot of other areas, not just pre-sales. You know, you'll be much closer to customer success, you know, product, uh, engineering. Um, you get a, a bit more of, um, you know, access to that. Maybe you have more of an input on overall strategy. It's a lot of fun, but it can come with sacrifices too. You know, larger organisations tend to have better better onboarding, better funding for, for training, maybe more opportunity to progress. They probably pay a little bit more. So, you know, I'd advise anyone who's looking out there, you know, do your research and particularly maybe even work at, at both at some stage in your career and figure out what you love the most. Yeah. And it's really interesting to the, that you say that because I don't think people should limit themselves. And I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on thinking that a very large company is very well sorted and you'll be just be one of a massive number. And a very small company is going to be just all flex all of the time, and there's no rigidity to it. I think you can find high growth large companies, Adam, yours is a great example, where you've got that baseline, that bedrock of of processes that is good, there is training, HR has got all of the stuff ready, but also there's so much growth and opportunity that you're... 
you need somewhat of a startup mentality to be innovative and to be jumping into things. Well, what's it's you make a really interesting point there. And I've I've recently spoke to two candidates, right, who made this exact point. And I said, why we were the only company they were talking to, and I said, why, why, why is that? Why have you ruled it? They like the level of agility, and that's a, a word I use regularly, but I've not heard a candidate use. And they said they like the level of agility that we're brave enough to try new stuff. So we've almost got that startup mentality of let's try and get better, let's try and innovate, let's do exciting stuff. But there's still a structure underneath it with a, a career framework and a plan that they can see themselves progressing. And I would say this is my advice to leaders here, that when you're interviewing candidates, you've got to sell that candidate a dream that's safe enough they can buy into it but it's exciting enough that they can see how they can develop and this leads me on to my question for you actually josh is i'm a hiring manager i want to make sure the best candidates are in front of me at all times right how do i make myself as a leader stand out to even like a recruiter like yourself where i'm saying josh i need the best talent in front of me not just any talent how does that happen I'll pay, pay us the most money, Adam. <laughs> I'm joking. Oh, you walked into that one, Adam. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I did. But the, the reality is it's how good the opportunities. Like an organisation like us who specialise in pre-sales, I'd like to think we know it very, very, very well. I mean, as you know, Adam, one of our co-founders actually still works in pre-sales on, on your side of the fence. It's something that we understand. So we can distinguish a good client between another. Um, and typically, you know, we, we won't work with an organisation where we don't feel we can help them or we don't think we'd be doing the right thing by candidates. Um, so the best way you can do it is be, you know, take the advice that hopefully candidates are taking, listening to this, also be active on social media, also share the things that you're experimenting and trying. Um, so to add to that earlier point, I think you're exactly right. People who are embracing cutting edge pre-sales, who are trying new things, that's incredibly compelling for candidates. Um, so if I know, if I, if I know I've got a great candidate who may have other opportunities, you know, outside of, of Ikuto too, that maybe I buy through other agencies or direct, I want to put them in front of a client who I think they're going to take the job. I want to put them in front of the best client who's going to offer them the best opportunity to learn and progress. Um, and that's a difficult thing to do when every organization wants to be incredible. So listen, we're kind of coming to the end of the, I think we could talk all day about this, because, but I think it's, yeah. it's, it's fascinating. I think you have such a unique um, angle on it. I think the way you go about recruiting, and I've obviously I've, we've had experience of working together. This, the views on this podcast are completely my own. I always stress that, but we have worked together, and I think I've enjoyed us working together. We've had a great relationship, and I can only speak from a leader's perspective when I say you know, you've helped me out with a couple of roles that were incredibly tricky, and we found some awesome candidates who are thriving in their roles so you know you come with a um a huge amount of influence now in our in our profession um it's nice to see specific recruiters like yourself and john emerging that i've really got the candidates best interests at heart not just move them then move them again you do everything for the right reasons and i know that through our conversations so if you are in the market and you're not sure if you're right talk to josh right i mean we've had some great conversations if you're a leader and you're not sure you're doing the right thing talk to josh just want to confirm, I didn't pay Adam to say that. Um, but <laughs> thank you very, very much for your kind words, honestly. Oh, it, you, you're, welcome. you're welcome. And um, and like I say, you've, you've had a lot here. We came on to talk about the jobs market and we've gone into other areas, but that's that's how we roll. So, Mark, any ideas from you? Some actionable insights from people is, um, do you re- if you're a candidate, do your research on the companies you're tr- tr- trying to get into, be active, be a person in their line of sight. And then... Um, 
trust trust Joshua and David and the other guys at Akuto because uh, and because the folks there. Um, and yes, I will confirm this is not sponsored. Mm. We've also had good conversations, Josh, and and the authenticity and humanity that that people such as yourself bring, who don't just post jobs. You know, you 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 don't join a LinkedIn group where we're also hanging out talking about pre-sales and just post jobs. You post comments and thoughts and ideas and chats and you'll go on we- on webinars and podcasts and all the rest of it. And that is the difference between working with a recruiter that is just going to get you any job uh, and working with one that is going to get you the right job. And I think that's a, a, a vast difference. And on behalf of the entire pre-sales industry, thanks, mate. <laughs> thank you very much i found it a unique way to support the pre-sales community um and that we, we don't take our jobs too lightly so i appreciate all the kind comments and uh yeah if there is anyone out there listening um you can find me on linkedin please feel free to connect i'm happily uh, happy to offer any cv advice or advice around interview anything you know it doesn't have to be with our clients so yeah feel free to reach out cool well it's a it's a very busy jobs market we're going to let you get back to it now but thank you so much for taking the time to join us give an update We'll have you gone again soon and we'll um, we'll do another update. But from this episode, thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.